0: Hi Online Church family, I'm so glad that you could meet with us here. We're about to go into a preach that I delivered recently and I really hope this blesses you, it inspires you, it takes you further in your walk with God. That's my heart for you as you watch this. And if it really does bless you, why don't you go ahead and share it with someone who you think needs to hear it. Um, Make sure you click like and subscribe so you don't miss any of our messages here that we upload weekly and um, jump in the chat so we can connect with you as well so you're not a stranger. So sit back and enjoy. I hope that you get blessed. It's August, everyone. And uh, we are in the second month of our two month theme, Elephant in the Room. And we love this theme because we talk about the things we're not sure whether we're allowed to talk about. Um, And we actually just touch some real topics. And um, I actually think there needs to be a little bit of the elephant in the room in every preach. Does anyone agree with me? Amen. And so tonight I'm gonna to preach um, a concept out of my a book that I wrote with Pastor Mark. And so you can read it in detail in here. And the book's called Expanded Leadership. So tonight I'm actually gonna to speak to you as leaders. Is that okay? Because I believe that everybody, uh, whether you have the title of a leader or not, the moment you say yes to Jesus, your life bears influence. He said to us, we are the light of the world, we're a city on a hill, we're the salt of the earth. No Christian gets away with not making an impact unless you're not actually a Christian. And so every one of us is called to leadership, but I wanna give this away and I wanna give it to Jesse and Sam. It's their first night here and I just, when I saw you walking in, I thought, do you know what you guys, God's got your number still. Um, So pray that that blesses you guys. All right, well the title of my message tonight is When Worlds Collide. When Worlds Collide, secular or sacred, public or private. Have you heard this over and over in the news? Have you heard people at the abortion rallies saying, keep your religion off my ovaries? Have you heard people say, keep Christianity out of politics? Yeah. We live in a world now where secular, popular, current culture is saying you need to separate your private and public life. They're saying what, what happens on a Sunday needs to just stay on a Sunday. Thank you very much. Have you heard this? Have you yourself been tempted to compartmentalise your life? Where because of, I guess the temperature of the environment at the moment, it's just easier to only talk Christian when you're with your Christian friends. We're all in that place where that's the tension you have to manage. And what I think right now is so exciting is that to be a Christian today is actually gonna cost you something. Yeah. Yeah. There's no such thing now as just being a good person because the moment someone finds out you're a Christian, you have to actually own that yeah. and everything that comes with it. And so there's this, there's this seduction in current culture that wants us to compartmentalise. And it's the elephant in the room. The elephant in the room is, don't you bring your faith into the workplace. Don't you bring your opinion out around election time. And you, you need to just be who you wanna be on Sunday, but please don't be that person on a Monday. And we need to be different people at work and on the football field and at university and at church different people but Christianity is the only worldview that cannot be compartmentalized. It just can't be compartmentalized. Do you know in the world as a CEO I can live a completely messed up private life. I can be an alcoholic I can be I could have a string of partners behind me but so long as I'm keeping my stakeholders happy, I can stay in that job in the church, that doesn't fly. In fact, Jesus teaches us that what's done in private undergirds everything that's done in public. And He says what's whispered in secret will be shouted from the rooftops. Now that doesn't scare you, you must be dead. Nothing is hidden in God and actually those things that are hidden or maybe not hidden but private undergird everything. They undergird everything. And so we need to to realise that in this day and in this age, the elephant in the room is I've gotta be true all the way through, no matter what anyone thinks. Because Jesus informs every part of my life. He informs my time, my relationships, my money, absolutely everything. What happens behind the scenes actually sets me up for my public life. You've just gotta look at what Paul said to Timothy and Titus about the qualities of a leader. The qualities of a leader had actually very little to do with public sphere and everything to do with private sphere, marriage, family, finance. What a person does in private actually qualifies whether or not they can be in public. And so Jesus actually, as Christians, Jesus informs every part of our lives. We cannot fragment and compartmentalize our lives. Jesus says in Luke 6, 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but don't do what I say? And so my goal is to bring us tonight into a life of integrity. What's the opposite of fragmentation? Integrity, it means that I'm the same in every single setting, where my substance proves to be consistent under every form of pressure and every circumstance, where I experience and exhibit congruency in every sphere I live in, where every part of my life informs every other part of my life, and none of them can be separated from each other. That's integrity. And my behavior is not subject to the factors of an environment. My behavior is not subject to relative truth, but my behavior is subject only to the absolute truth of the Word of God. That's integrity, and so there's a saying that we all have heard, if Jesus is not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. That's integrity as a Christian, where every part of my life is informed by Jesus, and I have integrity everywhere all the time. You've heard me say recently that I've discovered through my own grief journey Wrestling with how to navigate my days, I've realized it's actually easier to live my life co- by conviction 100% of the time than 98% of the time. It's easier. It's easier just to disallow the 2%. Because when do you spend your 2%? How do you spend your 2%? How do you determine what you're gonna do with that little excuse you've given yourself there? It's better just not to have that option and live the same way 100% of the time. Because I've noticed in people and in myself that if I give myself 2%, eventually I'm taking 5%, which becomes 10%, which becomes 15%, and all of a sudden I'm living a life of compromise. Integrity means I am who I am 100% of the time. I was talking to a gentleman in the foyer the other day and he goes, how are you really? And I said, I'm good. And he goes, really? And I said, well, you'll have to ask my children. That's the point. Is that we are who we are no matter where we are. And that everyone would have the same testimony of us. That's integrity. And so to do this, we have to be able to lead ourselves because we have a public face, a private face, and a secret face. A public face is the one that everybody sees. Private face is the one that those closest to us see. And the secret face is the one that only God sees, but God sees all of them and they all interact. In Matthew chapter 6 Jesus talks about not being a hypocrite I don't go to church anymore because it's full of hypocrites well you should join us you'll fit right in but Jesus talks about do you know what don't bother keeping up appearances keeping up appearances stops you from being real with God He talks about when you do a good deed, don't brag about it. In fact, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. When you pray, don't be the sort of person that stands on the street corner using big flashy words. Jesus talks about do those things in private. And then he says, because the Lord who sees in private will reward openly in public. He says the ones that do it in public already have their reward and their reward is only from man. But when you do your deeds, do them in private and you'll be rewarded by God. So the choice actually is up to you whether you'd prefer a reward from man or a reward from God. I know what I would prefer. I know what I'd prefer. He talks about us being real behind the scenes. And eventually... Eventually, time will show who you really are. You cannot fake it forever. Cracks eventually show. And so I want to talk tonight about three essential areas we need to look at in order to have integrity, in order to build integrity into our lives, in order to lead ourselves, self-leadership we have to master these things. And the first one is a word we all love. We love it so much, which is why I have put it first. It's self-discipline. It's self-discipline. And you know, I think, in order to, we can discipline even the external, right? Which is still not what I'm talking about. We can, we can go for a run five days a week. We can eat all the right things. We can read our Bible every day. We can, you know, do all the external things. But what I'm talking about with self-leadership and integrity is discipline around our thoughts and our attitudes. Discipline around our thoughts and our attitudes. Do you know when Judah was only little, He's like, he's 11 now. He just turned 11. But when he was small, he got in trouble, which is, I know, you wouldn't believe it because he's an angel and he hardly ever gets in trouble. (coughs) But this particular time, he did get in trouble and I sent him to his room. And a few minutes later, he came down and he had like tear-stained cheeks. Thanks, Ken. And he said, Mom, I said, what's wrong? And he goes, my brain is telling me awful things about you. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I love that so much. And Judah is that sort of person that's able to separate himself from his own emotions and his own thoughts. to be able to take a bird's eye view of what's actually going on in his own brain. If you can do that, you can discipline your thoughts and your attitudes. Because he was able to go, no, my brain is telling me things that I don't believe and I don't want to believe. And so I'm going to separate myself from that. Just because a thought popped into your head doesn't mean you need to own it. In fact, you should be able to go to God and say, God, my brain is telling me terrible things because it does from time to time and you need to be able to just go, that's not a thought I'm gonna keep. That's not, an, that's not me. Well, in essence, Judah was telling me these thoughts I'm having are not me. And I'm being accountable for them. I'm bringing this to you to tell you that this is what my brain's doing to me right now. And so we need to have self-discipline around our thoughts and our act, our attitudes. In uh, in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Paul says, "Take every thought captive into the obedience of Christ." In 1 Corinthians, he tells us that we have the mind of Christ. Do you know you have two minds? You have the mind of the flesh and you have the mind of Christ, the mind of the Spirit. And sometimes it's just taking that bird's eye view, observing yourself and saying, well, I'm just going to flick over to the mind of Christ because that's not what I'm gonna meditate on. I'm not gonna allow my thoughts to live there. I'm gonna choose to live here. Self-discipline around our thoughts and attitudes as well. Do you know a bad attitude can sabotage your destiny? I've seen it so many times. A person with a call of God on their lives with a bad attitude that never eventuates into that call that I can see so clearly. A bad attitude can sabotage your whole destiny. And of course, it's everyone else's fault. That's why you have a bad attitude. But actually, it's on us. It's on us. Thank you, Colin. Let's give it up for Colin. We're solutions people around here. A bad attitude. And you know, we have to keep our resolve. The Bible talks to us about what perspective we're meant to have to keep our attitudes right. Jesus said it like this in Luke chapter nine, verse 62. Anyone who puts his hand to the plow and looks back, it's meant to say is not fit for service in the kingdom of God. What he's saying is, is if you put your hand to the plow, if you say, yes, God, I wanna do what it is you're calling me to do, but you look back and you shift your focus, you're not fit for service we have to stay focused in our thoughts and our attitudes. And we have to keep our resolve if we're gonna lead ourselves. If we're gonna be able to stand in this day, we have to keep our resolves. And one of the things that really speaks so loudly about our attitudes is our passion to actually serve. Can I tell you, you never serve your way out of serving. Serving is not a stepping stone to something more glamorous. Serving is the pathway to leadership. Well done, good and faithful. And so our attitude is revealed in our ability to serve. Actually, honestly, humbly serve. I hear too often at the moment this word, lifestyle. Just love my lifestyle. No, no, I can't come out to Remnant Room on a Tuesday night. No, no, I won't open my home to run a life group. No, oh, really? Really? Two services on a Sunday? Actually, again, you want me to do that? No, not really. Not if you've got an attitude like that. But I know that when our hearts are right and when we're leading ourselves well, I couldn't stop you from doing those things. That's the difference. That's the difference. And our our ability to serve gives away our attitudes. It gives away our attitudes. So we have to be disciplined in our thoughts and attitudes, disciplined in our words. Do you know, leaders don't have the luxury of being unreliable, we just don't. My word is my bond and if I don't live up to what I have said, my reputation drops. My credibility is at stake. It's that serious. Jesus said in Matthew five, let your yes be yes and your no be no because anything else is from the devil. He said it, not me. Let your yes be yes and your no be no What is the language culture around your life? Because life and death are in the power of the tongue. Our words create worlds. The first purpose of language was not communication but creation. And so what we say creates. So beware of sarcasm. Do you know what the root of sarcasm is? Bitterness and unforgiveness. Just gonna take a drink. Bitterness and unforgiveness is the root of sarcasm. Beware of criticism, harsh criticism. Beware of analysis paralysis. What is your language culture? Positive language. Proverbs is full. I think there are like three pages, two pages in that book that literally are just a list of all the words that Proverbs talks about, that that the words of a righteous person are like honeycomb, a well of water, a breath of fresh air, strength to the bones, all these sorts of things. That is our language culture. We need discipline. We need discipline here around our words, in this day and age when everything is about division, everything is about fragmentation, everything is about cutting down, we need to build up, we need to create, we need to speak hope, we need to have discipline around our words, we need to have discipline around our actions. Today, current culture is completely self-serving and flippant. But we need to fight indifference and apathy. Apathy, oh she'll be right, I'll do it if I feel like it, if it serves me, no, 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 no. Not in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God we do things on purpose. What we do is important. We carry conviction and so we act out of conviction and we're not self-serving. We do things on purpose. Our actions need to be actions and not just reactions. I'm at leaders meeting because I wanna grow. I'm not sleeping around because I love God and I'm honouring Him with my body, with my relationships. I'm sowing financially because I'm making a contribution into my generation. I'm not gonna hang out with that clique on Sunday because there are people here that I intend on impacting for God. I'm gonna be my my boss's best employee because I'm a brand representative for Jesus. And so we need to be disciplined around our actions. We need to live on purpose, conviction, know why we're doing what we're doing, which leads me to number two, which is cause. We need to lead ourselves in cause. I wanna show you a uh, diagram straight out of university, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Give me a wave if you've seen this. It's about as common as anything you've ever seen. It's a bit pixelated, but starting from the bottom, do you know COVID took us straight back down to the bottom? Like that, overnight. We went straight back to I need to stock up on toilet paper and pasta sauce. (laughs) And I'm gonna fight a little old lady for the last packet of toilet paper. It took us straight back to physiological needs. Safety and security, physical distancing, your own safety is paramount. Like we started acting like animals. Actually, I was, sitting back, watching it all happen, going, who on earth are we? This is absurd, absolutely absurd. Social needs, we move up. We need to belong. We need to belong. Can I say that most people who haven't had an encounter with Jesus will come into church for this reason, and that's totally okay. That is totally okay, a sense of belonging. Because... We do need to belong. It's all of these needs are God designed and put in us. Okay, a social need, an esteem need. That I love me and I'm loved by others. My esteem, I have a need around my esteem. And then we have a destiny, the pinnacle. My need to direct my life and live at my fullest potential. That all went out the window with COVID because all we needed was toilet paper. But we're slowly coming back up to this. I can sense it. I can sense it. Is this need for destiny to fulfill my potential? And so you'll see that big line that goes across and beneath the line are deficiency needs and above the line are growth needs. So I wanna show you a little table of the difference between deficiency and growth. The deficiency need wants ministry but growth wants leadership. Deficiency is a victim, growth is a victor. Same circumstances, but one person who lives out of deficiency sees themselves as a victim, the other person in growth sees this as an opportunity to overcome. Deficiency sees a problem, growth always finds a solution. Deficiency is needy and draining, growth is helpful and willing. Deficiency is past and present driven. Growth is future driven. Deficiency wants a hand out. Growth wants a hand up. And so all of these needs and um, predispositions are in us, but we, because we're disciplined, determine which set is going to speak to us, which set we're going to tap into and allow us to take us forward or not. So I wanna ask you, what is your motivation in life? What motivates you? Is it an esteem need? Is it a social need? Is it a destiny need? What is it that motivates you? We are a people who own our beliefs. We live above that line. We know, as Cam said, that God has met all our needs. Everything below the line is satisfied in Him. Above the line is up to us. Everything below the line He's taken care of and you and I should be secure in that so that when COVID happens, we're not freaking out about toilet paper and germs. But the part above the line is that's what's up to us. God can't do that and won't do that for us. He's put it in us as a seed in seed form, but it's you and I who will determine whether we step into it. What's your motivation? I've noticed that people respond to conviction and passion is so persuasive. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed how you're attracted to passionate people, not complainers? Like you actually wanna stay away from the people who are griping about stuff all the time. But you get around a passionate person and it's just contagious. Martin Luther King said, a person not willing to die for a cause is not fit to live. Come on. Your purpose gives other people purpose. The greatest shame is a Christian who just goes through the motions and the people around them are uninspired, risk averse. What's the why behind your what? What is your why? I love meeting people in all spheres of influence. It doesn't matter whether they're a business person, a nurse, a teacher. When I hear their why, I love it. But I'm so sad when people don't have a why. When they're just going through the motions, they're just a teacher. They're just a nurse. They're just working in a business. But the ones who have a why, oh my goodness, they're the best kinds of people and they're changing the world in which they live. And so you've gotta expose yourself. You have to expose yourself in order to catch the cause. Expose yourself to broken people. Expose yourself to the need. Don't put your head in the sand. Expose yourself to the need because that will give you a why. It'll give you a why. And know that you carry the answer and you have the power to do something about it. That's what's gonna get you up in the morning. That's what's gotten me up in the morning. Time off, are you kidding? I'm seeing girls like Angelica rise up and become awesome leaders in the kingdom of God. I'm seeing a family like the Rangi family charging ahead in the things of God. Are you kidding? Time off? Time off? Are you joking? There's nothing better than living for a cause. There's nothing better than being a part of God's answer in a generation. You give me one transformed life a year and I'm not doing anything else but sowing into that. Because there's a need. And I can be, are you kidding? I can be a part of that? Are you kidding? I can be a part of that. Sign me up every day of the week and I'm not gonna sit in bed feeling sorry for myself as long as there's another person in front of me who I can help find Jesus and move into their destiny. Expose yourself to the Word of God. You know, they did a study of people who have been through grief and trauma and similar circumstances, and they fell into two categories, the ones who moved forward and advanced and the ones who stagnated or moved backwards. And the only difference, the only difference was that this group had memorized scripture before the tragedy happened. the only difference and so when something as chaotic as a global pandemic happens the sheep and the goats are separated very quickly and it's based on an exposure to the word and the presence of God because when you are planted in the word when you've had an encounter when God has whacked you so hard there is no pandemic in the world that's going to make you denounce him or walk away from him Expose yourself to the Word of God, learn His promises, learn about your place in the cause. And expose yourself to other passionate people. Do you know why? Because you become who you hang around. People living on purpose, positive people, excited people, people living for a cause. Peel yourself away from negative influences and expose yourself to passionate people. And you will be too. Number three in self-leadership is a commitment to personal growth. 1 Corinthians 13:11 said, When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. I love what Pastor Dan said this morning. He said, I've met some 70-year-olds who haven't lived 70 years. They've just lived the same year 70 times because they've never grown up. There needs to be a growing up, a personal growth, and it's not automatic. It requires effort and it requires focus. It requires grit and perseverance. Committing to personal growth requires humility because it says, There's always more to learn. A successful leader, a successful person never assumes they have all the answers and nothing else worth knowing. And there are obvious ways that we can develop ourselves. One way is being in church every single Sunday and serving on team. You will get some of the best personal development training in a 30 minute sermon than you will get anywhere else in the world, I promise you. It will grow you, it will grow you. You can go back to school, tertiary education, studying. I am so inspired by people who continue to study all the way through their life. Read books, read the Bible, take notes on a Sunday or wherever you are. When you leave a meeting with someone, make a few notes. Be a note taker. And so if you're gonna grow, Firstly, get a mentor or a coach, get a mentor or a coach. The disciples had Jesus, Elisha had Elijah, Timothy had Paul, Saul had Samuel, Samuel had Eli, Ruth had Naomi. Put yourself under someone who has proven himself or herself because they'll see things that you don't see or don't want to see. And when they put their finger on something, apply it apply it. Get a mentor or a coach and and get a strategy. We have to be strategic and intentional about it. John Maxwell says, growth is not an automatic process. If you're going to grow, you're going to have to do it intentionally. I was at a conference where he was speaking and he taught on this concept of the 12-month growth plan, which has changed my life. And what it is is you sit down with yourself at the beginning of every year or every 6 months and say you're doing it for the year. You write down 12 areas you want to grow in and you just put one in each month. And you focus on that area for that month. You put in a couple of, you know, you break it down a little bit and you focus, you know maybe two or three focus areas and you work on it for a month and then you move on to the next one while you're still doing the previous one. And so by the end of the year, even if you've bombed out on six of them, you're still better in six areas than the previous year. I'll be honest, there are some things that have been on my personal growth plan every single year and that's okay because I have grown in other areas and they are now new ways of being, but I've been strategic about it by doing something as simple as a 12 month growth plan. January, I'm focusing on this. February, I'm focusing on that. And then we just layer it. So we need to have a strategy. We need to be committed to growth. If we're going to lead ourselves, if we're going to own our Christianity in this day, when it costs us something to be a Christian, we need to know who we are. We need to know what we believe. We need to be intentional and purposeful about it. We need to be able to make an argument for our belief. We need to know and not be shaken.